I'm going to read out of the book of Psalms. Uh, Jennifer talked about a series that we're starting. And I think this is amazing because I don't want this to be informational. I want it to be transformational. And my prayer is that this series is a hook in your spirit where you get something out of this every time that I preach this word because this is really transformational out of Psalms 1 through Psalms 6. David writes them, and I think you need to hear about it in a way that you've never heard before to get you to think because God wants you to think differently than the world. He wants you to think differently than religion. He wants you to think differently than other people think because you, he wants you to apply kingdom knowledge, what's already locked on the inside according to Colossians 3 and 3. Listen to Psalms chapter 1. This is diamonds for everyday living. How many know diamonds become diamonds when they're pressurized, when the coal is under immense pressure, if it's, if it's pressured enough and if it's, if it's tough enough, it turns into a, a diamond. It says in Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the pathway of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law he meditates on day and night. I can't wait to break that down for you because it's not laws of rules and regulations. It's laws of freedom and absolute liberty. He meditates on that freedom and liberty day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water and brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. But look at the passage 4. The ungodly are not so. Can you see a distinction starting to happen? The ungodly are not so. They're like chaff, which is winds. It drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. How many of you know with that psalm, there is a choice? There's a choice to make. We choose the, what the choice we're going to make, but there is a choice to make. And this is truly a diamond for everyday living called the choice. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for the wonderful worship team. Thank you for the, just all the things that are happening here to just help people, empower them, and impact their lives for the good. So, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for all the leaders, ushers, greeters, altar care workers. Thank you for the media department, everybody that makes Oasis, all our children that makes Oasis is a great place to be. Thank you for that. Lord, let our words be your words today and let our mind be mindful of the kingdom, mindful of what you had for us. In Jesus' name, and all God's men and women said, amen. You can be seated. And I want you to give the worship team one more round of applause. Can you do that this morning? Now, I think there's something so important about what life is because life can be defined by many things. What you're seeing today in our political climate thank you, Pat, is you're seeing a lot of people trying to discuss where life stops and where it starts. And then you hear these political crazy people trying to tell us what we need to stop doing and what we need to start doing. And three preachers were asking themselves, kind of having a, a theological debate about when life truly begins. And the Catholic priest said, well, life begins at conception. And the Protestant said, no, no, life begins at the first breath. And the rabbi chimed in and said, you're both wrong. Life truly begins when your last child leaves the home and your dog dies. That's when life truly begins. I think there's something to the latter. Life begins when you make a choice. 
We know that our choices are so important because we can choose to become something that this world maybe never intended for us to be. You know, the world and the systems of the world wants to snuff life out. A government, if, they, if they're given over to this crazy progressive policy, they'll legalize everything that promotes death. They'll legalize death up to, up to a baby coming out of the womb. They'll legalize drugs that will fry the next generation's mind. They'll legalize all these things in our society that will cause you to go down the wrong path. I think that's important because the question is, are you happy? If you watch television and watch the doom and gloom jockeys on network TV or the political climate, you're going to be an emotional roller coaster. You're going to be mad at this person. You're going to be happy at this person. And it's going to draw the divide even greater. You are as happy as you decide to be. We choose what we become. And I think that's important because... What, what is it to be happy? Many people do not know what happiness is because they cannot identify what it is not. And so I thought about that because I think, what are the causes of unhappiness? What causes unhappiness in our life? Many things play into that role, but what really causes it? Because the Bible says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. When's the last time you laughed? When's the last time that you heard laughter in your home? Or how about the last time you heard it coming out of your mouth? Because I don't believe a man or a woman is poor if they can learn and still laugh. Nobody's poor if they can learn to laugh and enjoy life. Do you know psychologists now tell us that only 10% of Americans are truly happy? Why? Because we are now living under such great stress, such immediate information. It's no longer like pick up the newspaper and it comes on a 24-hour cycle. It's a two-minute cycle. We're such under great stress. We've been overloaded with information. We've been overloaded with, with trials and tribulations. And now we're just, we now have a, a, a society that literally says 10% of Americans are only happy. 90% are miserable. That means if you get in a group of four and three of them look okay, you're the miserable one. One out of ten. I think that's dramatic. I think it's crazy to even think about it. But I also would say there's probably some truth to it. There's probably some truth because we're that generation that live is that or excuse me, that's living under what I would call great stress, under great emotional turmoil. We fulfill the words of Solomon in Proverbs 14, 13, that even in laughter, our heart can be sorrowful. So why is happiness elusive? Happiness is not predicated upon the world's standards, but why is God's standard of happiness elusive? Why is contentment elusive to so many people? You think we should have it as Christians, but many Christians are miserable. They're just as miserable as the world. It's important to know because most of us do not understand what happiness is because we, can, we cannot identify what, what causes unhappiness. And so we do not know what it is and what it is not. So we predicate it upon circumstances. Now think about that because here's David. He gives us this psalm. I like the book of Psalms because I believe Psalms in the evening, a proverb in the morning. Uh, okay, you guys are really quiet. But it's important to know that there's a psalm in the evening to kind of calm you down. And there's a proverb in the morning to wise you up. And the Psalms is, is an amazing book in the scriptures because there's 150 chapters, 10 authors in the book of Psalms. And David writes the lion's share. 
Nine authors join the book of Psalms, but David writes the majority of Psalms. That's why I'm taking Psalms 1 through 6, not Psalms 1 through 150, because we'll be here until Jesus comes. But Psalms 1 through 6 is important because it's the foundation of how God wanted to write it. And he starts it off because David is the great-great-grandfather of Jesus. Did you know that? In the book of Revelation, it says to understand the key of David is to understand the revelation of Jesus. If you understand David's journey, you'll understand Jesus' journey. If you understand Joseph's journey in the Old Testament, you'll understand Jesus' journey in the New Testament. If you understand how God used the Jewish people to write every word of the, God, every word of the Scriptures and that we're tapped in where the root uh, is, is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and we're the extension of that root. We don't overtake that root. We are contributors to that root and we have everything that we have because of that root. It's because of David. David's Jewish. David begins Psalms 1 with blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. It literally translates to be congratulated is the man or the woman. Not just to be blessed for a moment. Now think about that. He's not talking about momentary blessings. He's talking about an a lifetime of blessings. Well, Jesus is his great-great-grandson. And how does Jesus start his ministry? Jesus starts his ministry on the Mount of Transfer, uh, on the Mount of, uh, uh, on the on the Mount, where he he gives us nine blessings. How many of you know? In Matthew chapter five, we see Jesus giving this sermon on the Mount. We call it the Beatitudes. I call it the attitude to be. Do you know? In the Old Testament, the last book in the Old Testament is what. Old Testament is Malachi. And the, the last book of Malachi, the last word in Malachi is the word cursed. You can look that up later because it's awful dark in here unless you have your flashlights. I'm teasing Cindy because she brought her flashlight. She says, Joey, it's too dark in here. I've got a flashlight. I said, yeah, put one on your head. Walk in. I think there's something so important because God's setting a standard about how to look at him. Because David is the great-great-grandson, or, or Jesus is the great-grandson of David, the Old Testament, the last words in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, the word cursed is there. The word cursed is there. You can look it up. Literally, the last word in the Old Testament is cursed. The first words that come out of Jesus' earthly ministry, his public ministry, is blessed. He's wanting you and I to know that the Old Testament concealed is the New Testament revealed. That they're not overtaking one another, they're complementing one another. That now we don't have the rules and regulations, if you do that, then I'll do that. Now you've got these promises that are yes and amen. So he's telling you in Psalms 1, be congratulated, be blessed. That's what Jesus does, nine blessings. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are they that hunger and mourn, are hunger for righteousness, they shall be filled. Nine blessings to show you that you and I can be possessed with peace. Did you hear what I said this morning? We can be possessed with peace. You see the world that we live in, curse here, curse there. God doesn't establish us with the curse. He establishes us with the blessing. Cursed is the one that hung on the tree, which was not me, but it was Calvary, which was Jesus Christ, our Savior. I can't rhyme the last one, but you know what I'm talking about. But blessed is the one that hung on the tree. Cursed was he that hung on that tree of Calvary. But not us. We are not appointed to wrath. We're under the amazing grace of God. Aren't you glad today God says, you are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. 
I think that's so important because it's not just to be blessed for a moment, but it's a lifetime to be possessed with this thing called peace that will rule our minds and our hearts. But I want you to immediately recognize as I read that psalm that this is really a choice. That's why the message title is called The Choice. Happiness is a choice. Many people would give a, a litany of excuses why they cannot be happy at this moment in time. They would say, Joey, I can't be happy because of this, 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 and this. Instead of looking at what's right, they focus at what has gone wrong. And they make a choice to focus on the wrong things. We choose what we become. And we can choose not to sit in places that would bring forth negativity. We can choose to not sit in places that would be the seat of the scornful. That would mean to be bitter to the core. In life, you know, we can get bitter or we can get better. We can choose not to associate with what the scriptures call sinners. And I'll talk about that at a later date because sinners are not what you're thinking in, in the church world. Sinners are those who absolutely reject the calling and love of God to the point they do not want anything to do with it. You're not to associate with people that do not want things to do with God in your life. You're not to be in business with them. You're not to associate with them. You're to love them and pray for them. But God says you're not to, seat with, you're not to sit down with them. Them. You're not to sit down with them because that's going to be contagious. You see what I'm saying this morning? In every issue of life, we can make a choice. We make a choice this day. That's why you made a choice today to be in the house of God. You made the right choice. That's because you have made a decision to fill up the inner man. You see, there's a war that's going on on the inside. I talked to a young man recently, and I, I began to tell him what I'm telling you. I said, young man, there's a battle on the inside. There's two dogs fighting on the inside. There's a good dog, and there's a bad dog. I said, which dog wins? He immediately said, the bad dog. I said, no, the dog that you feed. The battle is what you're going to feed. If you feed on the flesh, if you feed on negativity, if you feed on what's wrong, you don't choose what's right. You don't lift up your voice and sing a hallelujah, even though it's been hell this week. You see, you got to choose this day. Can somebody help me preach it? You got to choose this day which road you're going to take. Robert Frost wrote a poem years ago called The Road Not Taken. And then the poem, it goes this way, quote, Two roads diverge onto a woods. I chose the one less traveled, and that made all the difference. Wasn't it Jesus who spoke of two roads? One was a broad road, and the other was a narrow road. Wasn't it Jesus that talked about two gates, a wide gate that leads to destruction, and a narrow gate that leads to salvation and freedom and hope? Isn't it amazing when they talk about a wide path? They often say, in this wide path, you can do whatever you want to do. You can choose whatever you want to choose. You can go wherever you want to go. But the wider you take that gate and that plunge and you choose to go that wide gate the more tight it becomes addictions start to come tribulations start to come anxiety starts to come salvation starts to elude you and now these unrelenting devils start to invade you because it was broad for a moment but the more you go down that broad road the more choked out you become but narrow is the way that leads to salvation it's only narrow for a moment and when you get through that narrow moment now freedom 
starts to come. Healing starts to come. Joy starts to come. Dreams start to get fulfilled. Imagination starts to explode with things you never thought, dream, or even imagine. You see the difference? God says broad is the way that may lead to that destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to freedom, hope, and joy. We know that narrow way, ladies and gentlemen. It's Jesus Christ, the one and only. Jesus, the son of the living God, the one who was and is and who evermore shall be. Now, I think that's important because we determine our happiness or the lack thereof. We determine that. Isn't it true? I read the biography. I like reading people's lives stories because I think we can learn more from others' lives so we do not repeat their mistakes and we can build on their strengths. I think that's important because when you read about people's lives, you can, you can learn a lot from them. And I read about the biography of Abraham Lincoln. I didn't learn this in school, but... One of the things that Abraham Lincoln did so effectively, he didn't quit. He had so many disappointments. He battled with severe depression. He had one defeat after another. And Abraham Lincoln, finally his dream was to become the president. And it became a reality. And it didn't become a reality in the timetable that he wanted it to become. It became a reality and when the nation needed it to become a reality. When the world was facing an absolute devastating choice because America is the beacon to this world and we are literally the foundation of freedom across this globe. You may not have learned that in school. You may not understand that, but you have to realize that as America has been born through its what we call Judeo-Christian values, that means the contributions of the Word of God and the Jewish people, it has founded America. And now there was this great divide, father against son, brother against brother. Slavery has been taken because people wanted to use people. There's nothing new under the sun, and there's nothing that's changed in our society. But only great men, only great women that rise up and take a stand. And Abraham Lincoln was a great man. He rose up and he took a stand. And he took a stand for what was right. And as a result, he not only did the Emancipation Proclamation, but he said something that I think is so important because Abraham Lincoln following the Civil War, this war that was so devastating, the war that would end slavery as we know it, he said, I have determined, quote, that people are just as happy as they decide to be, end of quote. You know, your power of choice, it's so awesome. It's God-given. God gave us this power of choice. He doesn't want robots, even though I can do the robot. But God's given us the power of choice. And this power of choice is so amazing because you can choose what you want to choose. We call it in theology uh, a free moral agency. And that means you can decide whatever road you want to go down. And as you decide whatever road you want to go down, you make that choice. Every day you make a choice to be happy or to be miserable. You make a choice to get up in the morning and say, good Lord, it's morning. Or good morning, Lord. Do you make the choice every day to get up and put a smile on your face? Or the only way you make a smile happen on your face in the morning is the night before put a clothes hanger in your mouth. You can make a choice each and every day to do something great. We cannot all do great things in the eyes of men, but all of us can do great things in the eyes of God. We make a choice, a choice to be happy, a choice to be miserable, a choice to love, or a choice to hate. 
A choice to be joyful are full of anger and full of bitterness. And remember, when we carry that anger and when we carry that bitterness, it's a heavy container and it becomes too burdensome for one person to carry. So let's ask for a moment and take on this question, what happiness is not. Because happiness is not found in money. Because many people think that if they achieve this American dream, you know, that American dream that I talked about in a moment ago that, that is the beacon of hope for many nations, the American dream is not all founded on biblical principles. Do you, non, do you understand what I'm saying? Because the American dream is really what some of it is founded upon what Jesus said, you can't be God of two things, God of God, of God and God of mammon. You can either serve God or you can serve mammon, but you can't serve both. You can either be loyal to the word of God or you can be loyal to your mind or some secular humanism garbage that gets you thinking off the rail. Now think about that because love is important, but love has to be focused on the right things. Because if we just say love, love, love without having a governance of what love is because God is love, and if God is love, then we have to focus on what God said love will do and what love will accomplish. And love is not arrogant. It's not blind. It's not proud. It's not boastful. It's not ugly. It's not unbecoming. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices in truth. Now think about that because you can't serve God and serve mammon. It's the spirit of what I would call the American dream. The American dream is rooted in this spirit of mammon. The spirit of money can get me this and money can get me that. Money can buy you a lot of things. It can buy you a, a breathtaking mansion and put all these beautiful things in that house, but only God can give you a home. Money can buy it, but only God can give it. Money can't buy you a home filled with love and people in that home that love you and you love them. Money can attract allegiance of people to you. Again, biographies are really important. I, I, I read a biography of an ex-boxer who literally, he, he was a world-famous boxer, and he had an entourage of people that he began to pay and pay and pay. Now today, he's still alive, but he is dead broke. Money can buy you legions of people to hang out with you, but only God can give you the treasure of one true friend. Think about that. The next time you think that money can solve the answer. Money can buy you a gold crucifix around your neck. Diamonds studded from top to bottom, right to left. But only God could put Christ in your heart. We can't save anybody. Only God saves people. We water, some leads them, some does it. But only God is the one who brings people to salvation. You and I can't accomplish that. It's the God of the universe who puts eternity in the heart of people. Money can't do that. Happiness is not found in money, and it's not found in reaching goals. I've learned that through my life because sometimes goals can become an overachiever's nightmare. Because goals can become God. And when the goal is not reached and the goal is not met, then the, then the shrink back, well, God didn't meet my needs and God didn't come through. And maybe God never wanted that exact thing. Maybe he had something better for you. God's promises are yes and amen, not your goals. Mm, it's getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. God's promises are yes and amen. Not your goals. 
Your goals are not the end or be all. God's promises are. And sometimes God's got better things than just your goals. That's why every year we put out in the church and our family, we put out spiritual goals, relational goals, financial goals. And, and what we do at the end of the year, the Steelman House, I have them in my older Bible here. These are some of my goals. And you know, some of those I've met and blew them out of the water. And some of them hadn't come to pass. And I don't look at the ones that doesn't come to pass and say, well, that must be God turning his back on me. No, it's just a way of believing God or maybe God has, has something better for you. In other words, the goal cannot be your God. Some people reach that goal and it becomes something overwhelming to them and they're never really happy because they have to have another goal now. And not to say that we shouldn't have goals. We should have them, we should proclaim them, we should write the visions down, but you need to know they're not the end all be all. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? And that's why happiness is not found in circumstances and people are often looking for the perfect situation. Joey, I just need the perfect situation. I'll go tell people about God. I'll go tell my neighbors about God and I need the perfect situation. I don't wanna scare them off. Where are you gonna scare them off to? Hell number two? I just, I just need the perfect situation. No, you just need to learn to add value. You need to love people, add value to people. When you do that, then there's no perfect situation. You just are who you are by the grace of God. And when you do that, there's no perfect situation. There's no perfect job. There's no perfect marriage except ours. Last Monday, 19 years, baby, 19 years. But there's no perfect job, there's no perfect marriage. I think marriage is so important, but if you don't carry happiness into marriage, you're not gonna find happiness in marriage. It's true, if you don't have happiness when you're coming into it, you're not gonna find it in this relationship that you've merged together. The urge to merge has overwhelmed you and now you're together. And you'll not find happiness because you've merged it together. You find happiness when you decide to be happy. There's no perfect church. If you go to the perfect church, please don't. You will ruin it. There's no perfect pastor. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect circumstances. Wasn't it Paul and Silas in the jail at Philippi in the midnight hour? Wasn't it Paul singing a hallelujah to the Lord with the, with the, with the shout of victory even though they're chained up? Wasn't it God who, who sent the, the, the absolute earthquake to get them out of jail? Not because of their complaining, not because of their murmuring, but because of their praising. Not because of a perfect situation. In spite of that situation, they had the victory. That's why what I'm telling you today, friends, does not need to be postponed. You don't need to wait until. You know what? I'm just going to be happy when I get over this grief. I'm going to be happy when, when I have my, my children out of the house. I'll be happy when, when I get married. <sighs> I'll be happy when I get a new job and I, my boss is really demonic and I, I need a new job. No, the next boss is going to be even worse until you keep passing the test. God wants you to pass the test. It's not because of circumstances. You, you understand what I'm saying today. So here are the causes as we move into this next phase and our ushers will distribute the communion. And as they distribute the communion, 
I, I want you to know that we're going to take it together as a family, but this is not a ritual. This is not something to just say, ah, oh, we do it, it's church. This is transformational. So as the ushers uh, distribute that communion this morning, I want to talk about out of my heart, just out of life's lessons, causes of unhappiness. Because I think if you, don't, if you don't know what causes unhappiness, it's hard to experience happiness. Do you see what I'm saying this morning? If you don't know what causes unhappiness, how are you going to experience happiness? So what's the first cause of unhappiness? And I think I want to wait a moment until they distribute out. There's not, it, it'll take them a moment. But I think there's something so important about this first cause of unhappiness, especially when it comes to your relationship with God. Because a cause of unhappiness is guilt. Guilt. A highly, highly sophisticated, developed society. We're in the 21st century. We have instant access. We can have at our disposal any information we want. We're so sophisticated. We can go from New York to Paris in a jet in under five hours. We can go around the world. We can put satellites in orbit. We can go on to the moon. But yet we still have trouble receiving forgiveness freely from God from other people and ourselves. Think about that because of guilt. Can I just tell you, if God has forgiven you, you need to forgive yourself. Millions and millions of people, they live with an attitude that is harsh and mean-spirited and unforgiving. You know, psychologists have come up with a word for this, and this is what many Christians suffer from because they immediately think, I can't receive happiness because of what I've done or I have not done enough. What I've done and I haven't done enough. And so we have this issue that's going on because God's not going to force you to receive freedom. He's not going to force you to receive healing. He's not going to force you to receive the infillings of his spirit and his power. He's not, he's not, he's not going to do any of that. He's a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a dove, remember? Not a, not a Mack truck. It's a dove representing his gentleness. That's why David said it was thy gentleness that made me great. So think about this. I think this is an important topic, what causes unhappiness, what causes unhealing. I know it's not the right terminology, but you get my point. What causes people not to live out their best life? Hashtag living the best life. You want, you want to know what causes? Hashtag not you. guilt because you feel guilty and you feel unworthy and you've had some preacher, some teacher along the way, some person tell you you're just not quite good enough. You've had somebody along the way, an authority figure, a mother, a father, a pastor, a teacher, a pope, a rabbi, a priest, whoever it is, come along and say, if you would have done this, if you would have done that, if you would have said this, if you would have confessed that, then you would be in right standings with God. And you know, psychologists have a word for this. They call it neurotic guilt. God already established a word of what it's called. It's called condemnation. 
Psychologists have come up with a new name for old sin. God's already known it and he's already called it out. He said there's no condemnation. There is no neurotic guilt for those who are in Christ the Lord. Therefore, right now, he didn't say when you've established the four steps of freedom, when you've went through growth track and now you've got it all figured out, when you've went through communion elements and now you've figured out not to do this and to do that and to take it this way and not take it that way. He says, no, no, right today, right now, there is no condemnation nation for those who are in Christ the Lord as an ambassador as a priest and a king and a queen unto God why in the world would God want his ambassadors to go around in a society dragged over beaten down absolutely decimated because of things they've said and things they've done in the past you see that's neurotic guilt that's religion. That's what happens. And many people, they immediately think, that's not me, Joey. That's not me. Then why do you not accept freedom? Then why do you not accept true forgiveness? Why do you think in your mind, there's coming a day when I'm really going to get it. There's coming a day when I'm really going to receive it. Why not today? Why not now? Why not in this service? Choose you this day choose you this day. You see, the devil is a liar. He's absolutely lied to so many of God's people that have them living in this guilt called condemnation, neurotic guilt. And God says, I've got the Holy Spirit, the dove, and the dove has conviction. And the dove's conviction is different than neurotic guilt. The dove's conviction is, you know, you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't say that about yourself. You know, that's a check in your heart. You shouldn't be talking that way about yourself. You shouldn't be talking that way about other people. You shouldn't be belittling yourself by what you're listening to. You shouldn't be belittling yourself by not believing for my promises to expand your territory, expand your tent peg. You should be believing me at my word. Every one of these promises are for you, daughter. They're for you, son. Don't live in guilt. Don't live in condemnation. Live in freedom. Once you confess it, God says, what's Sin. What sin? Why do you bring up what I've already buried? Why do you keep bringing up what I've already put in the deepest sea, never to be brought against you anymore? You see, the enemy's brought on this neurotic guilt. He's put mental illness on it. He's put depression on it. He's put anxiety on it. He's put this nagging feeling that God's angry at me. He's mad at me. So I have to pray more. I have to do more. I have to give more. And God says, you do not understand the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a great future future. But you have to, you really have to switch over. You have to switch over because conviction is true guilt. Condemnation is neurotic guilt. Conviction is what I think that's happening right now in this room. The Holy Spirit saying, come on, come on. Listen to what Joey's saying. Come on, come on. Receive your healing today. Come on. Come on, receive forgiveness today. Come on, come on, step out in faith today. Learn to give today. The Holy Spirit's convicting right now as I'm speaking. Step out and believe for that family today. Don't worry about the children today. Don't worry, I've got it under control. That's the Spirit convicting you, saying, stop thinking you're gonna stop your drugs and stop your alcohol abuse and stop your issues with what you're watching as some freakazoid. You need to stop all that. You can't fix that in yourself. That's what condemnation does. That's what neurotic guilt does. 
good. I'll fix it myself. That's why I come back to this place. I'm never redeemed. I'm never forgiven. I love God. I'm on my way to heaven, but I really don't have what it takes because you've tried to fix it on your own. And God says, if you could fix it on your own, why did my son go to Calvary? You can't fix anything. Just receive my son's grace. And this is so important because I think communion needs to be taken at another level. Not a form. Not a form where the, where the person comes and you take it and it does need to be in a place of reverence. But not reverence in a format of what people think is traditional. Reverence in a place of transformational where you can be completely healed, completely made whole. Don't live in neurotic guilt, but you can let the convictions of God free you up because you can't free yourself up of any addiction. You can't free yourself up. See, some of you have promises with your name on it, but you've let the enemy lie and say, you're not ready for that. You don't believe that. Oh, what he's saying, that's not true. I believe something else. And you've listened to the lie of the enemy too long. And God says, no, no, believe my word today. And there's this cause of unhappiness, of guilt. There's another cause of what I call anger. Anger, anger. We live in this place now of society where we have road rage. People are getting so angry at things and it eats away at your stomach and it produces ulcers. And now we hear it coming out of people's speech and on television, one person's talking over this person and they're angry at that thing and they're angry at what they see and they think everybody should join them in their anger and they, and they think that they express it instead of explaining it and anger hurts the one who's angry and it just as much as it hurts the one who's the object of the anger. It causes high blood pressure and ulcers and heart disease. They've traced now anger, people being ruled by their emotions. That's why the scriptures say, let all bitterness, let all wrath, all anger, all evil speaking, put it away from you. That means ex explain your anger. Don't express it. Put it away from you. Put it away from you. How do you do that, Joey? By a choice. Chill out. If something's gonna heat you up, get away from it. Because you do not need to live in anger. And you do not need to live in a place of unhappiness called selfishness. I think that's important because there are reasons why we come together in church services. Not just to hear a great word and wonderful worship, but for you to get your eyes off yourself and not be a selfish person. We live in a selfie generation. We live in a society that Everything what I have is mine. And I'm a self-made man or a woman. A self-made man or a woman is wrapped in a very small package. None of us are here because we've done it ourselves. Only by God's amazing grace do we function and live and move. And here's what I'd like to tell you. When you get your eyes off yourself and you put them out and add value into other people, you'll really start seeing miracles in your day-to-day -day life. If I could take every one of you to a missions trip, we call them in church missions trips. I've been to many of them. If I could take you to Africa, to Burkina Faso and Niger, where I've been there and seen those pastors and those kids loving God, happy and content in extreme poverty and extreme circumstances that you and I would absolutely give up the ghost and say, Ichabob has come. The Lord has departed from me. But see, it's all a matter of perspective because we become so self-focused, so self-attentive. That's why it's so important to be a part of a body, a church, 
that doesn't just believe in us for and no more, that really believes that we can really make a difference together. We really can help and be compassionate and generous and add value and help people. It's important to do that. Did you all receive your communion today? As you receive it, can we stand together? As we close our time in this next few moments, the team has a song. Thank you, beautiful lady. If you didn't get it, would you raise your hands? The ushers will get you it. I want you to know everybody could take it if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, become one right now. Just say, Lord, I believe. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood for my sin. I believe he died for me. And he, because of his life being exchanged for mine, I can truly live. That's simple of belief. After you believe, this, this is a step that you take. This is a step that you take for divine healing, not for religious ceremony, divine healing. This is to remember the past, to come to the table of the present, and to remember the future that he's coming again. I want you to not take this in a manner that would be unworthy and not receive everything he has for you. Because the last area of unhappiness is fatigue. And I believe there's a majority of people in this room today, as you look to the left and right of people, that you're fatigued. Jesus got into a boat and pulled away and said bye because he knew that life and the people would drag him down. And he pulled away so he wasn't pulled away. And the people in your boat, you need to have them rowing with you, not poking holes in the boat. And this is where I tell you today, let all causes of unhappiness, of doubt, of guilt, feeling mad at what you've said, what you've done, the guilt of going through this and not doing that, let all that be put away today. You've already qualified as a believer to receive all the promises of God. Get into the stream and the flow of the Holy Spirit and just receive that wonderful possession of peace. Once you do that, all anger, wrath, bitterness, all that stuff will be put away from you. I have the sweetest disposition. I really do. I have an amazing disposition. My wife, I live with all girls. And I have an amazing disposition of peace. Not because I live with all girls, but I have really changed of what I used to be and what I am today because of Jesus. And I can tell you from somebody who lived in an angry place before I became a believer that God can get that stuff out of you. And there's not an evil bone in your body that God can't get out. There's not an angry bone in your body that God can't put away. He can do it today. There's not a sickness that's right now trying to riddle your body. Arthritis, anxiety, uh, tumor, no matter what it may be, even though you think you brought it on yourself, I think there's issues that go beyond what you brought on yourself, but I want you to know there's nothing that God cannot heal today. There's nothing that he cannot heal today, but you've got to get rid of all of the guilt. You've got to get rid of all the shame. He was shamed on the cross, so you don't have to live in shame. You've got to get rid of all those circumstances and say, no, I'll choose to be happy right now. I choose to receive healing right now. I choose to be free right now. I choose right now to let fatigue leave my body and let this joy come upon me today. How many of you are you're fatigued? You're just fatigued, just spiritually fatigued? mentally fatigued, 
emotionally fatigued. Am I, am I talking to any business people in here? You deal with people, you deal with workers, you deal with employees, you get fatigued. You deal with kids, oh my God. You're fatigued. You're so glad they're back in school, aren't we parents? Like, yay, I'll see you in eight hours. We are an uptight generation and we need to have rest. So let's let all today, all forms of guilt leave, all forms of anger leave, all forms of selfishness leave. You're a part of the kingdom. You're part of a church. It's not about you only anymore. Get your eyes off yourself. And I say that with such love and compassion. No anger. Compassion. Stop worrying about what you like and what you're not getting and what you, they should be doing this and people should be doing that for me. You'll get what you get. Don't throw a fit. Let all these things be put away.